the last of the rapid-fire backlog clearing podcast episodes coming at you. Yeah. Um, so this is probably the one I'm the most excited about dropping. It's the shortest of the three, but it's really it's an interesting subject. Again, this is from, I think, late July. So it's not necessarily all that uh, topical, but because in the case of Trump, everything seems topical now. We talk about a great article by Jane Coatson from Coaston, excuse me, from Vox, who writes just a really kind of thoughtful piece, which is basically, what if the left was actually right about race? And I know this is a tough subject because... How do you talk about race without making some people think that you're calling them racist or that you might call them racist? I get that. However, just please not even listen to this, but when that happens, don't go, go, wait, it's not so much I'm being called racist or that this is offending somebody. Go, hey, this is possibly hurting me and I'm telling you why. It's, It's not hard to listen and you really should... Um, again, I'm woefully ignorant on this subject, so if you have, if you have some more suggestions for how to broach it, things to read, just anything, please send us some feedback at, feedback at thestrangetonic.com. A couple of books that kind of got me started in a direction where I feel like I'm not as, as woefully ignorant, but still am fairly woefully ignorant is uh, So You Want to Talk About Race by a local Seattle uh, author here, Ijeoma Alua. And uh, if you're kind of a sports fan who's also into a bit of the racial politics and how the politics of race work, even in sport, the heritage, Black Athletes, a Divided America, and the Politics of Patriotism by Howard Bryant was something that I read maybe a year and a half ago. And it kind of opens some avenues in my mind. Uh, again, if you have any suggestions, please let me know. Also, I if, I if I can implore you to listen to this, I know it's not easy, but uh, please do. And again, big thanks to our friends Pan Astral. This is quite, I guess, on topic here, but we're proud to feature their music. Uh, we're using their newest single, All of the Color. It, I know it ties right in, but it really is also just a great song. So thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy it, and take care of yourselves. it by itself it's fine Mm. no that's not the case at all yeah it's it's kind of interesting some of the excuses that people have come up with to say that that statement has no race racist connotation to it yeah and you know kind of you know marks for creativity i guess well also (laughs) uh i just it drives me insane that you know it's like i wrote that you know unintentional fascism like he's he's too stupid to be a fascist oh he doesn't know what he's saying and oh he's too (laughs) dumb to be a racist oh you you can't look at like 
the preponderance of evidence in all the things he said, you know, done, <laughs> you have to look at it individually and then you can kind of explain it away. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's not really a thing. Uh, I, I don't want to get into this too much, but did you watch the uh, or follow any of the Mueller hearings? I, well, not live. I didn't. Um, I was at work and you know tried my best to not look at my phone the whole day. Yeah. Uh, but I have been listening to you know some post testimony analysis and. I've heard lots of clips. Um, I think I told you Rachel Maddow's blog, they posted the testimony in its entirety. I think I, I, I was only able to stomach about the first <laughs> 10 minutes or it's, so. It pretty quickly comes out to be all the same thing. Like I was telling yeah. a friend of mine that the Republicans were either directly basically saying what Trump wanted them to say or trying to trip up Mueller, but ended up just kind of tripping themselves up. And it was like, mm -hmm. okay, we, we get it. There was uh, Devin Nunes who, I don't know if you've seen the Daily Show thing they put on Twitter or like on social media where it, like, it's side by side. Him okay. basically saying what Hannity said. Oh, like, really? Like, okay, huh. cool. Um, Interesting. And then on the Dem side, they were really just trying to get him to like either read the report, which he told them beforehand he would not do. Right. Um, or like make judgment calls, which he was like, is it in the report? I don't want to talk about it then. Mm -hmm. But what did drive me nuts about them was they were falling all over themselves to go, thank you for your patriotism or thank you for your service. Just, all right, guys, we get it. Right. We get it. Just kind of, he doesn't want to be here. Right. I, I, you, you can thank him, like maybe thank him at the beginning of the hearing, like have. One or two yeah. people say, you know, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, and it was that, a little overkill. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and it seems like, from from what I've heard, like the the first ten minutes where things got started was not just ten minutes, but the whole first half of his testimony before the break and going to the other um, uh, the other committee uh, was like the really rough part of it, yeah. where the Republicans were just flat out rude to him and you know yelling these like nonsensical like abstractly long sentences trying to get him to say that and he was just like what the fuck are you talking about you I, need to repeat yourself that's ridiculous what did you say to me <laughs> i love seeing the headlines from fox news where it was uh you know tempers flare and fiery or heated you know Mueller hearing no louis gomert and jim's jordan were yelling <laughs> Mueller just kind of sat there and yeah well i'm not surprised Michael Moore took to Twitter to call him Mueller old and weak and how it was you know, a total failure. Uh, he was there. He, he told everyone, A, he didn't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And if he did, he did exactly what he, <laughs> what he did. Right. I, and I should point out that uh, I don't know if any of the our listeners are a fan of Michael Moore, but he's for a long time been trying to thread the needle between what we now know as Bernieism and Trumpism. He's been trying to kind of jam those together. Hmm. So it's wholly unsurprising that he would go, damn the Dems for not sinking Trump, but also why is this guy so weak? Like, just, mm -hmm. just shut up. Anyways. Yeah, his entire career is built upon creating controversy and pissing people off. Like, yeah. that's, that's how he makes his living. So I guess it's really not that surprising. No. And, you know, 
also a lot of what we've seen from the media is, oh, Mueller failed to deliver. He did fine. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what anyone's expecting out of him. Like, I think there were a lot of people that were expecting some sort of, uh, oh, what's the name of that film? Uh, Mr. Is it Mr. Smith? Yeah, so yeah, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, yeah. like some type of like moral grandstanding in a la Jimmy Stewart yeah. style. Like, yeah. No, he told you he, he no. didn't want to go. And if he did, he would just say, that's in my report. That's in my report. Is that in my report? I'm not going to talk about it. Right. Yeah. And there was some, oh, he was unprepared. Why didn't he answer questions about the Steele dossier? Uh, because that he, that wasn't in his report. Also. Right. And it goes back to the whole thing of the absence of evidence is evidence itself. And there's nothing he could have done to satiate Jim Jordan or Louis yeah. Gomer. Well, and he, he comes in, he sits down and he makes his introduction and he says, the most important thing about this report is that Russia hacked the elections mm -hmm. and they're doing it again. And maybe one or two people out of both committees talked about that even like it for him. That's what this whole report is actually about. It's just so happens that investigating that stuff, Trump tried to obstruct justice along the way. And that's how all the other stuff came out was because Trump was being a, buff a buffoon and knew that he could get in trouble with all their like shady talks with Russia. Um, but that was the most important thing. And that's, that's what nobody's talking about. No one's doing anything about it. And one of the Senate committees, they just released a new report today that said that all 50 states had been yep. hacked by Russia in some capacity. Originally, uh, during the investigation, it was like less than half. It I want to say like, I don't know. It I was, it was, either. I don't remember the number specifically, but, um, but now they say all 50 states had been hacked by Russia and no one's talking about that. No. <laughs> And no one's although, doing anything about that. <laughs> although to uh, one, I don't know if it's alone, but certainly a notable uh, Republican exception, U.S. Representative Will Hurd from Texas, who is oh a, yes, yeah. yes, he was one. He was one of the exceptions. You're right. I did hear his clip. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead, and so he's a former CIA officer, and he basically mm -hmm. said Democrats and Republicans should you know, be alarmed by this. And you know what can he? He was asking. Basically, Mueller, like, what can the intelligence community do to, like, better be prepared for this? And it was like, oh, this is also why you have these kind of – you have these hearings is you have a career law enforcement officer who is also – and prosecutor and someone who's been involved in the intelligence process. And you ask them questions about their field of expertise and, in this mm -hmm. case, what he actually investigated as opposed to uh, Peter Strzok and his lover – Right. All of, all of the indictments and, you know, the passing on of other cases, those were all peripheral to the main investigation, mm -hmm. which was Russia hacking and interfering in our election. And, uh, yeah, uh, he was one of the few members of the committees to even ask about it. He was. And that, that was. Uh... And that's why Mueller was so frustrated. He was <laughs> like that. I wasn't really trying to investigate Trump, but he's such an idiot and a fucking liar. Like I had to. <laughs> I may be imagining this, but yeah. I felt like when I watched that clip, it seemed like Mueller kind of like leaned forward and his eyes sort of lit up a bit like, oh, we're actually having a conversation about something. Or like mm. he's, he's asking pertinent questions yeah. and not something where going, yes, correct. Mm -hmm. I don't recall. I can't yeah. answer that. Or <laughs> another like, oh, he's hard of hearing. It's not just political posturing. Yeah. It was an actual like 
Yes, it was conducting <laughs> no. an actual hearing. Yeah, it was it was crazy shit. I really doubt anything's going to come. No. Yeah, yeah. And I, but, I think and it was everything about it was kind of crazy, and I don't think anything's going to come of it. No, and anyone who said it would beforehand, or said or just disappoint, or says it you know should now, I don't think is. Mm-hmm. I would say isn't living in reality, but I'll put it more gently and say uh, is being way too. Uh, it's just too much wishful thinking. Because <laughs> yeah, it's people yeah. are pretty much dug in, and I think that's been the kind of thing that Mueller's been the most upset about is this is all in the report. Heck, like I didn't. I listened to the audiobook of basically his summary. Because the mm. actual like full report, if you listen to that, it's this happened on this date. This happened on date X. This person talked to this person. <laughs> and you can do that. But like his, which is another reason why Barr's summary was so bad, was Mueller's summary was quite good. It was longer, but it was much more clear than Barr's. Like he didn't do anything wrong. Mueller chose not to charge him because he didn't want to. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, and speaking of Barr, did you see that uh, he is now executing people for federal crimes again? I did see that, and that was very, very sad information to, to read about because they haven't done it in, what, almost 20 years? Yep. Yeah. And I can't tell if this is simply <laughs> something to use against Biden because like, aren't they overturning a Biden rule? Oh, that I don't know about. I didn't read into I'll it. I'll have to look so. into that before, actually, if I let this part go. Hey, here's random speculation. Uh, <laughs> or is this a another thing of, hey, look, we're tough on crime by killing people, which I mm. guess sort of leads me into tonight's conversation. It's kind of like, it's, like, it's very broad, but like I didn't want to do other stuff, which mm-hmm. is, uh, yes, Trump and the economically... What, what, what's the term, Michelle? What, 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 what's is it? <sighs> what was it? You used a really good phrase earlier. We might have to trim this part a okay. little bit. Hang on, hang on here. I, I Economic t- anxiety of yeah. whites. It's it. like it's not so much that. Uh, I I totally forgotten about this, Michelle. Do you remember just a few short years ago when there was a term called reformicon? No, I don't. So, what is that? <laughs> like, legitimately, I've never heard that word. It was, I want to say, like, before Trump was on the scene, and it was like, as Obama's presidency was winding down, and conservatives were going, well, how do we overcome what happened to Mitt Romney, where basically all basically non-white voters essentially turned against us, and now we need to, like, find out a way. And also the whole... You know, forty-seven percent of voters are just moochers. And hmm. How do we make? How do we make our conservative principles and not only appeal to middle class and poor people, but how do we actually make policies that abide by those same principles and actually do help those people, as opposed to just making them think it'll help them? Hmm. And so, like people like Ross Douthat was considered to be a early reformicon and another guy i can picture him but i haven't seen him in a while um oh ramesh panuru and some others and now ross Duthat's mostly famous for his uh 
sex robots piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I haven't heard from Ramesh, Ramesh Panuru in a few years, which nothing on him. It's mostly on me. Uh, I used to listen to the, uh, what's, what do they call it? It's uh, David Brooks and something shields. It's on NPR. Whenever I was driving home from work, we come on about like five or five thirty on Friday. And it's like, here's some dialed in Washington guys. One who's more of a liberal, one who's more of a conservative. Hmm. And they'll give you some ideas. And Ramesh Panuru be on there sometimes and, Smart as a whip and, you know, not one of the things I like about that program is they're not yelling at each other or even like arguing. It's, well, here's what I think these guys are trying to say. Here's what they're trying to do. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm way off track here. But <laughs> Reformicons, you know, that was like, oh, I remember that. Where did they go? Oh, that's right. Because now we're basically fully tilted into not so much... Uh, the economic anxiety of white working class voters as we are the, I guess we'll call it status anxiety or mm. agency anxiety or uh, providence anxiety or just general power anxiety mm. of mainly mm. white. Maybe, maybe, priv maybe privilege anxiety, <laughs> but they would, they would never agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's correct and much more succinct uh, of white voters white male voters in particular. And that is what Trump is actually tapping into. And apparently this is a part of his ploy is, uh, you know, there's, a, he thinks that's how he won was he got a lot of these voters that not only were mad because their paychecks were low, but were mad because it feels like being a white man doesn't get you as far as it used to, or at least doesn't get you the same. I was reading about, uh, Dying, I was reading the book, Dying White, and the guy was talking about how there really is this feeling of loss amongst white men in particular, because at one point, film and television, the characters in the shows were all like the heroes were generally white men. And so it was everything was meant to appeal to me as a white dude. And now it's, oh, there's these shows about black people, which you wouldn't think they care. But apparently it's a... Uh, well, why aren't I the hero? Hey, why are racists betrayed as bad people now? What's going <laughs> on? And so when I started listening to that audiobook of the lynching, and they're talking mm -hmm. about George Wallace, I'm like, oh my gosh, Michelle. <laughs> Trump is a modern day George Wallace, but somehow stupider uh, <laughs> and less, far less charismatic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't have to be quite so blatant as as Wallace, but yes. So Wallace, you'll let's I guess maybe fill in the gaps. Which state is he from again? Was Wallace from what Alabama? State? Yeah, say, what state <laughs> would you guess he's from? I mean that's my <laughs> guess, but I <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> you are. Uh, I told you there's a gap in my knowledge on this subject when you sent me the info about that book. <laughs> you did. Uh, and just a quick tangent. I can't remember what the story was, but it was something that just like, really, this is happening. Then I sent it to my friend Ben, and he was like, why is it always Alabama? And <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you live in Alabama, like I, I'm not trying to shit on you, but your state, for whatever reason... Uh, the people that end up on the top of the political uh, pyramid or whatever there always seem to end up being weird, terrible people. 
<laughs> and with just awful ideas. All so, right. uh, and obviously Alabama has some horrible issues as far as gerrymandering and uh, voter suppression, particularly of black voters, which uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew about this, Michelle, but towards the end of his life, when George Wallace was running for a fourth term of, you know, Alabama, mm -hmm. he all of a sudden embraced the changing demographic. Hmm. He hired black people onto his staff. And he, I think, he went to some university and crowned a black young woman, Miss Black, whatever the college was, maybe even Miss Alabama, for that hmm. matter. And so somebody's like, oh, he legit changed. I'm like, I don't know if he did, which, um, I'm, man, I, <laughs> I'm all over the place. I'm like, I'll just stay on one subject. But um, <laughs> did you have a chance to read that? How do you pronounce your last name? Is it Coston? Coston? That's my guess. Jane Coston. Yeah. Who is yeah I'm, we might be incorrect on that, but that's it. That's how it's spelled anyways, is Coston. So. Who is brilliant and one of the few people that's legitimately worth following on Twitter because mm. she's, like I said, brilliant. She's a great mm -hmm. writer. She's funny. She's nice. She's honest. So that's... She's uh, got some solid credentials, too. She yes. used to work for the New York Times, but now she's... Uh, one of the journalists slash explainers over at Vox. She sure is. And so she wrote this piece, and I'll link it in the show notes, uh, and it's called A Question for Conservatives. What if the left was right on race? On the right, race and racism, and the possibility that it's been a big problem all along. And I love this quote that she throws in there from you know, to bring it to uh, what's going on today that she throws in there from George Wallace, where someone <laughs> asked him um, if he was a racist. And he said, no, sir, I don't regard myself a racist. And I think, <laughs> I think the biggest racists in the world are those who call other folks racist. I think the biggest bigots in the world are those who call other folks bigots. There you go. And it's like- <laughs> Said in 1968, around the same time, and he said, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Indeed. And a man that uh, was strongly allied with the United Clans of America. And what I love, too, about uh, her piece, she calls it, because whether or not, basically, with George Wallace's end of life, you know, epiphany or whatever that he may have had, you know, was he actually a racist or was he what Coaston calls an in instrumentalized racist? where he just used it as a political tool. And mm -hmm. our friend Jackie asked me about that on Facebook, where oh. if there was really a discernible difference, because I, you saw what I posted where I was like, I don't know if he's actually a racist, but um, <laughs> he's clearly, Trump that is, he's clearly fine using it to further his political, I don't know if he ever used it really for business, but he certainly just used it to, his ego with the uh, Central Park Five. No, that's yeah. right. He did use it for business because. Yeah. Hmm. What was? I was gonna say. Yeah. Was it the Nixon <laughs> Department of Justice that fined him for basically, uh, you know? Hmm. Not allowing black people to rent yeah, properties from him. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Um. And yes, he did not start the birtherism thing. But he did not finish it. 
And when he was briefly a presidential candidate in 2012, that was his entire platform. Mm -hmm. And I just, the parallels between the two. Oh, and here's some more fun facts about Governor George Wallace. So, Michelle, do you know what his first wife's name was? I do not, actually. What was her name? Lurleen. Lurleen. Which is a great name. I wish I heard that more. Mm -hmm. uh, he did not tell her when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. What? Only him and the doctor knew. And years later, when he was running for president, I believe, I don't know if this is in the late 50s or early 60s, or was this the Nixon run where he got shot? Anyways, he was running for president, and he wanted to make sure that the person he had take over for him was governor in Alabama would give him the governorship back if he did not become president. Mm. And he was worried that his brother would not give the power up. So he basically installed his cancer-stricken wife, but didn't tell anybody. She found out when she went to the doctor, I think while she was actually governor, or at least acting governor, Jeez. and was told, you've got advanced cancer, like, and you've probably had this for a while. From uh, the book, The Lynching I read, there's even some speculation that it had somehow gone into, like, her original cancer gone through remission, and it came back. Whoa. Um, and he's such a cool dude that he would bring his, well, his mistress, which come to his campaign rallies, and show up in the front row. Mm. Yeah. Um, classy. Yeah. So, so classy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I could not believe this. But my dad was like, no, that, that actually happened in 68 when he was running as a Democrat. He won the Democratic primary in Michigan, in a few up in Maryland, and a few other states. Like, what in the hell? My dad was li living in Michigan at the time. Was like, yeah, that happened. I Ouch. Like, I remember my dad being kind of surprised, but eh, yeah. Hmm. So um, yeah, so his his popularity was more than we would ever have hoped it would have been. Then true. Um, I believe someone once called him an American Caesar, hmm. or his just his thirst for power. And his political cunning were just second to none. Which is why I think in some ways he's akin to Trump as far as the say what you will about Trump. He can read his crowds. Well, yes. The crowds that actually like him. The ones right. that don't, he gets so confused by. Um, yeah. He knows what buttons to push. He has no problem pushing buttons that drive people to do terrible things. As long as he can make money from it, he can get in the front page of a newspaper, he can get on television, or, you know, he can be president. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying Trump is as morally terrible, like, you know, in his private life as George Wallace, but he's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another, another thing from the Coastin article that she put in that kind of parallels what we've seen from Trump lately is another quote from Wallace, who uh, he said, and he does say the N word, I'm going to just, yeah. ex 
you know, kind of Same. bleep it out myself when I get up to it. But um, so he said of his own campaigns, you know, I tried to talk about good roads and good schools and all these things that have been part of my career and nobody listened. And then I began talking about N-words mm-hmm. and, they, and they stomped the floor. So that's, that's where quote. the instrumentalized racism thing comes in, where he did, Wallace saw it as, you know, he, he probably was a very racist person. Like, I don't, I don't think that's the, that's a, he was a racist person. Like, yeah. there's no question about it, but he certainly played it up because he knew his, his crowds liked it. And that's exactly what Trump does too. And what's, again, this isn't worth parsing out. What I oftentimes think with Trump, too, is if he stumbles into these things, kind of ass backwards, mm-hmm. doesn't realize what he's doing. And then, like, when he does, or if he, but it doesn't matter, again, because he just goes, no, F you, I wasn't being racist. But mm-hmm. what if I was being racist? I had a point, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Wait, what? I mean, the whole... And this is what drives me nuts about people that are still going, oh, yeah, Trump shouldn't be saying what he's saying to, quote, the squad, as if it's some awful thing. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of any of those four congresswomen. Mm-hmm. But there was a thing called the Young Guns, which included Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, and Kevin McCarthy, or as uh, he's known to Trump, Steve. just a few years ago this happens where the media or for that case those guys dubbed themselves Mm -hmm. young guns it happens it's it's not worth getting mad about but okay this was the president of the united states viciously and using racial overtones and dog whistles attacking three sorry excuse me four freshman congressional leaders Mm-hmm. who all are people of color and all are U.S. citizens and three of which were born in the United States. And that should be just just the first part alone, that the president is attacking a freshman member of Congress v- repeatedly and in different platforms, different mediums, and different weeks even, is something mm-hmm. that should not be done. Could you... Could you imagine Obama spending weeks making fun of Louis Gohmert? No, he wouldn't waste his time. He no. was, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, that's almost completely unimaginable. And I, I think part of what makes this even easier for Trump to do, though, is that they're all women. Yes. I don't think we can really separate the two. I think no. there's an intersectionality there, especially with the, the, the whoa, rally whoa, chanting. Whoa there, Michelle. Oh, I've, am been, I... I've been told by Ben Shapiro that that's a <laughs> fake term made up by liberals, the libs, women, by the libs. Um, to, I, I'm sorry, I can't even finish with what he was going for, but continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because granted, it's easy to chant on a beat of three, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. People do it all the time. But his his rallies have always had chance. Yep. For the first like couple of years, it was lock her up, concerts. lock her up. Yeah, totally, lock her up, lock her up. Rock concert of that, and now Play send her Freeber. back, send her back, <laughs> send her back. Yeah, and I don't think it's I don't think it's any you know surprise that the one getting the most vicious and direct attacks is Elon Omar. 
And we've met, I think we've talked about her we before did. on other recordings and stuff, how she does, she has put her foot in her mouth a few times. And these are all freshman members of, of Congress. Like we don't even really know what their policies are going to look like. And um, all of that's all of that. But, you know, they're all women of color. Trump doesn't like women. Well, not Omar like, not like strong women. And he doesn't, he doesn't, all of them because she's, yes. she's Somali. Mm -hmm. She's Muslim mm -hmm. and she said some trying to, can we call it irksome things about Israel? Yeah, um, I was, I was going to be even more like bleh about it and say controversial. Like that word's like gross to me anymore. It's true because I think a lot of the controversy comes from the fact that, oh my, I don't know if you saw this. So Marco Rubio posted he tweeted a, at least whoever runs his social media uh, feed, mm -hmm. retweeted a doctored video of her where it makes it sound like she's directly saying, oh, white men are the people we should fear. And hmm. when someone called him out on the hit, hit, hmm, hit. <laughs> um, he basically said, oh, well, uh, I guess that's bad. It's doctored, but she still shouldn't have said stuff like that. And it's it just, I personally am beyond, like, again, I'm not a necessarily a huge fan of her politics, but it's beyond disgusting that Twitter still won't take these things down because someone mm. is going to get hurt from this stuff. Yeah. Because Trump shared a video that was outright designed to basically stir hatred towards her and not in a just... I hate that woman, but a, something's got to be done to that woman. Mm -hmm. Ugh. But yeah, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's uh, and anybody who's trying to say like go back to where you came from is not yes. racial. Like that's, I'm sorry, but you're completely wrong, and you're you're an apologist for racist activity. Like that's. That's all that phrase has ever meant. Yeah. It has its own Wikipedia page as part of like, um, like an example of discrimination and racist, uh, racist activities. Like that phrase in and of itself is recognized by the equal, uh, uh, equal opportunity employment group. I know I'm saying that wrong. Um, as a, as you know, a discrimination tactic. Mm -hmm. Well, back to your point too, about, there's an intersectionality between all of this stuff, mm -hmm. you know, as Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin was trying to say, well, back when I was growing up in the sixties and we were saying that about hippies and radicals, that wasn't racist. It was specifically racist more. So it was also because you not only had hippies being against the war, but you had black people asking for rights and you had women asking for actual equal rights. So right. there's your intersectionality there. So mm -hmm. to say that, no, it wasn't about race, uh, maybe with the hippies it wasn't, maybe. But I think it was mostly about race and gender at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was. So the fact that we've had that in... <laughs> I love that some people are going, hmm, where's all this racism coming from? But <laughs> at the same time going, hmm, why are all these people like, you know, why are, why are black people upset? Why are gay people upset? Why are women upset? It's like, uh, probably because you have one party that's basically 
trying to mainstream into their message bigotry under the guise of and it's okay because it angers the libs mm-hmm. and another group that's kind of going and i i don't blame um this is why it's it's hard to blame people like well politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, when she's going, no, my constituents have been told we'll eventually get to you. And mm-hmm. I told them, no, I'll work for you now. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that have been told we'll get to you eventually and are going, no, uh, I'd like to have equal rights now. Mm-hmm. And that's legitimate anger. And there's some legitimate anger, I would say, on the Republican side where people are going, hey, I voted for you because you said if you cut rich people's taxes, I'd get more money. Mm-hmm. And in order to satiate that anger, they're going back to the centuries old. I think, uh, Michelle, you might even say it goes back to before America's founding of, <laughs> no, um, it's not that the landowners and the aristocracy are taking all of your money. It's the other immigrants or and mm-hmm. the ones that look different than you. They're right. the ones that are taking your money. Yep. And yeah, it's, yeah, I don't even know so, what's going with that. So like you're reading this book about Wallace mm-hmm. and I, I, I told you, you know, I texted you a couple of days ago and said, I've been on like a documentary kick as ha- as I do. It happens. It and happens. a lot of the, documentaries I've happened to go through are just about American history. What? And you I know, shocking. <laughs> you always but with with these documentaries, they always come to the point where the civil rights movement starts getting a lot of steam after World War II into the 50s and certainly into the 60s. And you watch these people in the south like screaming and spitting at black children being escorted by military regard to go to school with white children and you look at these I look at these images and I'm thinking you know those ladies back there screaming at this little black girl they're not that old when this was taken nope like those people might still be alive the same people who scream the n-word and were involved in lynchings and attacking you know peaceful civil protest in the South during the sixties, those people are still around Mm -hmm. and the racism that they demonstrated. I'm not saying everybody in the South, I don't want it to make it sound like that, but a lot of the people who did demonstrate outright racism like that are not gone yet. And I just can't help but wonder like, (laughs) you know, just because a president signs an executive order or signs the civil rights act or something, that doesn't mean all that racism suddenly goes away, but it, it evolved. And we know that it evolved into the war on drugs and the coded language uh, that had racial overtones uh, during the Nixon and Reagan administration. And even into the Clinton administration, like it's not just the Republican party that yep. Super predators. It's not just the Republican party that helped bring racism to where it is now. So where is all this racism coming from? It's been fostered and simmering Mm -hmm. under a different guise for 50 years. It never went away. No, not at all. And now we just have a new, a new level of demonstration of it from our 
disgusting president and his sycophants who are willing to do anything to protect him. And as uh, Kostin points out, a party that for the past 50 years, basically, has decided that it's more important to attack the accusations of racism within their own party than it is to address the fairly easily recognizable instances of racism. And, and, you know, as you're saying that not all Southerners are racist or like even people that would, you know, yell the N-word at a black child going to school. Republicans have, to be fair, yes, have, have been oftentimes unfairly maligned as racist, but now it's kind of where they've spent so long defending themselves instead of actually fixing it, that the party is that, I mean, have you seen now that there's this new thing of, what do they call it? I'm not prepared, Michelle. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Where there's this new intellectual movement within conservatism, and it's essentially neo-confederacy where there it's nationalism, uh, protectionism, and uh, essentially racism. White white supremacy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I guess yeah. we call it. Uh, they hate this term too, the patriarchy, because it's mm. it's also about back when things were great was when men led the household. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think things were that great back then, but. You know, as we've said, uh, I don't great think... for the men, baby. <laughs> but as we said before, Michelle, uh, things were probably never as bad as people remember or as good. It was always right. this is what I think as far as uh, I'm going to bring it in for just one second. As far as the whole fascism thing goes, mm-hmm. is we weren't really that far away from it as we thought. It's like, oh, my gosh, let's not do that again. Right. Hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, 60 years later and here we are. Um, here we are (laughs) but uh so conservative movement has moved from you know it's free markets and freedom and oh i guess we've got some racists but we'll try and tamp them down to uh you see all these now like fiscal conservatives going what the hell happened why has the debt ceiling basically been raised indefinitely uh, mm-hmm. Why is spending going out of control and no one mm-hmm. seems to care? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm not saying, again, you're all racist, but you kind of, uh, you were a bit too interested in power. And uh, I know, I don't want to talk about him, but Dinesh D'Souza claims that the Southern strategy wasn't a thing, even though it was a thing. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was written about being a thing. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Trump's popularity... Where do you think he's the most popular? Yeah. Uh, probably only takes one guess. <laughs> well, it's not just the South, but places like Nebraska and Wyoming. Conservative. And, yeah. What did We talked about that once, how there's like a Northern South as well. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was the turn of phrase for that? Wallace actually at one point said that America is the South. Mm. So places like Wisconsin, which... I, having lived there, and I'm not calling my fellow cheeseheads racist, but there's just not a whole lot of care paid to black people. And while there may not have been the same 
systemic racism. There is certainly, if you look at Milwaukee, mm-hmm. um, you guys will live in these neighborhoods and uh, we'll live over here. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And yeah, it's just, and you know, with, I don't know if you, I didn't see it. I only listened to the wrap up on the NPR podcast, poli- NPR politics podcast. That's the words um, <laughs> where they were saying, you know, oh, uh, Joe Biden had a bad night because, and I get what he was saying that he worked with segregationists because he, there is a hunger amongst voters right now for the people in Washington to actually do something. Mm-hmm. And Kamala Harris was going, hey, uh, you opposed busing. And busing was one of those things that no matter where it happened geographically in the U.S. was extremely unpopular at the time it happened. And mm-hmm. there's all sorts of incorrect data going around now that it didn't actually work. It actually did. Scores. Mm-hmm. It went up. very, it worked it, very well. It did. But I think you'll understand we should do our good thing of the week now because I got something to do in the other room. <laughs> okay. No worries. So I'll just, uh, I'll go first. So we're not, uh, you know, saving the, the suspense won't kill you. <laughs> but uh, my first good thing of the week, because I know I was going to do two, was my dad was out here last weekend. Uh-huh. And that was super fun. We went to Diablo Lake, looked around. I saw a bear. Walked the dog around for a bit. <clears throat> it was beautiful. He and I had great conversations because we're my dad and I are always we can fix everything if you just listen to us or just listen <laughs> to our conversation. And <clears throat> cap it off. His birthday was yesterday. Um, he is sixty six years old. He's constantly striving to be happier and just be a better person and all around. So he's. He's my hero, so that's my first good thing of the week. Second Great. is, um, so <laughs> we've decided to be a puppy foster home. Oh, my. Mainly because we want to get Gatsby a friend. Okay. And so Julia just drove up with the recently renamed, I don't know what, he, what kind of dog he is, but he's tiny. His name is Arlo. Okay. And he, as soon as I walked out there to help her get all the, his stuff in, I leaned in to pet him. He just licked my face. So um, <laughs> I think we're already like, we should keep him. But he has a pending adoption. So okay. there's that. Um, and as soon as I hang up here, we're going to go introduce the dogs. Oh, so very good. Gatsby's hyper and Arlo is very tiny. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I hope that goes well. Gatsby gets along with other dogs pretty good, doesn't he? He does. The only thing I'm worried about is that Arlo is so small because he's like five. I think he's like five months, maybe even less. Oh. So he's he's a little little guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you pics later and I might even do like, this might be the lead pic of the, rather than (laughs) a picture of George Wallace, here's a picture of Arlo. Oh, that sounds much nicer. Let's do a picture of Arlo. Great. He's cute. We're interested to find out what kind of dog he is. I'll... I'll send you a pic too. You can speculate. I, I have no idea. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, very good. That's exciting. And uh, I guess to to make it quick, then my good thing of the week is still the picture of John Stewart smirking Excellent. as Mitch McConnell walks by. <laughs> <laughs> Just nothing. It's Thursday. Nothing has topped it yet. So that's my good thing of the week because John Stewart forever. Yes. Um, <laughs> have you seen his McConnelling series? 
<laughs> but I know I need to now. I'll send you I'll send you a link and I'll see if I can link it up in the show notes. Okay, he, sounds good. <laughs> so back in whenever McConnell was rerunning or running again for re-election, uh-huh. uh, he posted all these like stock footage of him just like looking at the camera or laughing or him and his wife Elaine Chow with nothing with it. Like the idea was that Packs and stuff unaffiliated with McConnell's campaign could use all this footage to make ads and stuff like oh. that. So they added like things he was looking at in reaction to or music. So it's it's fantastic. I'll send you some uh, links. Perfect. I can't wait. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Noel. Talk to you later. See you.